Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Hello, Dog Nation. I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Obviously, a disappointing conversation to be had, and certainly not one we were hoping for at all. One of the things you'll also notice today is that things are just a little bit different. We've had some issues here that we're trying to work through. Certainly appreciative of all the folks who are helping us do that. So if you're watching on video, you'll notice that things look a little bit different, maybe not all that noticeably different, but a little bit different. And certainly from a sound standpoint, it's going to sound a little bit different. Some of the sort of bells and whistles that we sometimes have as a part of our program, we're not going to have here right now. But nonetheless, we're going to do a really good show for you here today. It'll probably impact the podcast audience more than anything. Uh, Certainly what you're used to hearing, the overall sound today might be slightly different in terms of the regular benchmarks. But nonetheless, we think we have a, a good show planned for you. Obviously not the best topic, but hopefully uh you know an interesting conversation around the news that is so let me kind of begin this way i i think that there are three moments that probably stick out of my mind more so than anything else from the saturday sec championship we'll obviously get into who georgia is playing florida state not being in the college football playoff and kind of everything that happened from that but you know after a busy weekend i think the thing that's still on the mind of georgia fans more than anything else is what went wrong against Alabama and how come a team that had won 29 straight had a hard time kind of finding that moxie against the Crimson Tide. And I think that when you kind of think back to what could have been and kind of that sort of lingering, you know, gnashing of the teeth and that sort of, uh, you know, aggravating, disappointing feeling, you probably kind of circle on, you know, sort of three things here that that probably ended up being kind of the, the, the difference in the football game. Obviously, it's the Isaiah Bond catch you know, near the end of the uh, first half on the fourth down play, kind of a miracle diving attempt, uh, rule to catch on the field, replay shows that was the wrong call, was not reviewed. And boy, you know, just so much negative energy around all of that from the standpoint that the officials didn't get it right. Replay, which is supposed to be the check and balance and all that, they didn't get it right. And then also some Georgia fans kind of pointing out, well, you know, Kirby Smart had a timeout. He could have also called that right there and given the officials more time to look at it. And I get, obviously, that feeling of, you know, why didn't Kirby step in and give the officials a chance to do on a second chance what they should have done on the first chance? Even Smart himself says, hey, you know, he probably should have called a timeout right there. But let's also be realistic here for a moment about what's happening on the sideline with all of the different choices that have to be made. See, when we think about football, we think about choices in the vacuum of you should do this as compared to that. But coaches on the sideline are actually thinking about, you know, dozens of things at any one time, both in terms of what's the defensive look going to be for the next play, who are the 11 guys going to be on the field, how much time is left, what's this this is not one of those things like baseball where it's more slow moving and you have time to kind of contemplate the last play. Is this play worthy of being reviewed or or football just moves at a different pace when you're in the sideline. It's a lot more chaotic. There's a lot greater, what you kind of think of as a sort of a fog of war. There's just a lot more of that kind of stuff going on. This is also not the NFL. There is no red challenge flag. It's the job of the officials to get the call, right? It's the job of the replay booth to then stop play and look at it after that. And it's ultimately not Kirby smart who failed to do his job in this particular instance i don't believe i believe it's the uh, the officials on the field who didn't get the catch right and certainly the oftentimes older ex-officials retired type guys up there in the booth as the replay guys they're really the ones that failed more than anything else because the only reason they're even in the stadium is to take a look at plays that are closed take a look at plays that are controversial and apparently they're too busy i don't know eating tapioca pudding or whatever it is that they're doing they're too busy doing all of that to actually do that job uh, their job in that particular moment so if you're going to blame anybody for the mishap on the bond deal it's the fact that replay once again it seems like this is a regular occurrence but replay once again doesn't function the way uh that it's supposed to and this is just one of those things that happen it's not the full and total reason that georgia lost the game of course we're not you know like ryan day or nick saban these coaches that spent a year making excuses for things but we're also not going to pretend that what's obviously objectively true didn't happen in this particular case this was obviously a bad call it hurts georgia there in the moment to alabama's credit gets up 
snaps the ball quickly after that to sort of prevent any replay from uh, taking place, and then also efficiently scoring right after that. That's just obviously a good job by Alabama, but the bond moment and the bad call on that was obviously a very big part of this game. And then beyond that, when you think about a you know point spread that was what somewhere around like they five five and a half type you know mark, and in a game that was ultimately decided by three points, the six point swing of Georgia getting a penalty being backed up uh Peyton you know Woodring who hadn't missed a field goal in what felt like forever you know moving that back and making it essentially about a 50 yard field goal uh that obviously became a little too long for him to make if it's a little bit shorter probably makes it from 50 not quite enough that's three points Georgia didn't get and then on the mishandled exchange with uh Carson Beck and Dylan Bell that results in a very short field for Alabama to Georgia's defensive credit uh they kept Alabama to a field goal but once again on the base of that turnover three points Alabama gets three points that Georgia didn't get uh you know the the bond mishap the result in Alabama touchdown and that's sort of enough to put Alabama uh to the win and make them the SEC champion and punch their ticket to the college football playoff and obviously Georgia coming up short on all of that however that's not all that Georgia fans want to talk about after this particular game. I understand that. And I want this to be a forum that reflects the overall fan conversation. So with that in mind, I found a statement from an SEC network analyst, Cole Kublik, who was at the game on Saturday, that I think reflects the way that a lot of Georgia fans feel. And I at least want to give credence to this point of view because I want this show to be more than just sort of my loud blowhardy opinion uh I, I want you know the the full gamut of opinions to be heard from so what cole said after the game i think sounds like a little bit what i've been hearing from a lot of georgia fans we had a little bit of a you know kind of a haphazard post-game show on saturday but we heard this from a lot of georgia fans there i've seen a lot of this on social media since then georgia fans not particularly happy with the fact that the georgia offense both succeeded at a different level than it's for the most part succeeded here this year but also seemed to function a little bit different than it has for the most part this year let me read this from cole kublik we'll put this on the screen uh as far as what happened there on saturday you know cole does this thing every week where he kind of gives you like sort of a a snapshot of all the sec teams that played well on this particular saturday there was just the one sec team that played so this was cole's analysis of georgia i'm going to read the whole thing but there's obviously a small part of this that matters more than others So Cole says about Georgia, brutal loss, but didn't lose the fight. I love the first drive plan, but they seem to get away from what worked there just a bit, and they lived in the pocket a little bit more. Quarterback was doing a ton at the line of scrimmage. Probably got too cute when you were backed up near your own goal line. It hurt when 65 went out. That's obviously Marius Mims. You couldn't get the run game going. I liked using tempo, but again, it seemed to be early and late. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, But uh, he says the quarterback was pretty sharp for the most part. Protection wasn't too bad, but you needed more from 19. That's Brock Bowers. Uh, 84 was gutsy. That's obviously Ladd McConkey. Then he says, I thought that 86, that's Dylan Bell, could have helped more. So that's the statement from Cole Kublik about the Georgia offense. But the statement that he makes within that that you've kind of heard from a lot of Georgia fans more is, hey, great game plan to kind of begin. Got the quick early touchdown. Things seem to be rolling. But then Cole Kublik says Georgia sort of felt like it got away from what worked after that, both in terms of that first drive, but also just in the eyes of some fans kind of a completely different offense than what it had been for much of this season here thus far and some questions to Kirby Smart in his post-game press press conference sort of were, were were about that kind of topic there too is how come this offense seemed to kind of stall after that opening touchdown how come yards were so hard to come by how come points were so hard to come by and was there kind of a different offensive philosophy in place than what had been kind of the, the the prevailing wisdom for Georgia much of this season. This is what Kirby Smart said after the game on that about you know, an offense kind of getting out of rhythm after marching down the field to score so easily, seemingly, and quickly to begin the game. This is what Kirby Smart said about some of those offensive struggles after that. Offense stalled after the opening drive. Um, you're talking about the rest of the night? Well, two, three, up until the yeah, I think well, number one, they did a good job there. We we, we didn't have quite as much continuity, um, maybe as we've had uh, out there. And and it, I mean, look, it's tough, guys. When Brock Bowers doesn't practice for 15 days and Lad doesn't practice for 15 days, and they try to go out in the game, timing and rhythm is critical. But give Alabama some credit; they played good defense, did a good job. I thought that we uh, ran the ball well and did some good things. So when you hear Kirby Smart talking about Brock Bowers, and you hear Kirby Smart talking about Lad McConkin, obviously Marius Mims goes out of the game. There's no rah rah Thomas. 
you know, this sort of gets to the point where a lot of people, and listen, <laughs> I know what the next year is going to be like. We're going to hear so much from so many people who've just sort of been waiting for someone like me to be kind of put back in my place again. Listen, I've got thick skin. I'm ready for all of that. I'm not too worried about that kind of stuff. But after all we've said about excuses from Ryan Day and excuses from Nick Saban and excuses from Josh Heupel, there's like this graveyard of excuses for everyone that sort of lost to Georgia here over the course of the last couple of years. There are a lot of like naysayers about maybe me or certainly naysayers about Georgia football who are also saying, and here come the excuses. You know, Brock Bowers is limited. Lam McConkey's limited, all that kind of stuff. Honestly, we're not like them. We're not going to spend a whole year doing that because frankly, the future for Georgia is too bright to be complaining too much about what the, uh, what the recent past was. But it is one of those things that when you try to make sense and that's kind of what today is, right? I mean, it's obviously a disappointing day, but in large measure, what this day is, is an attempt to try to make sense of, well, how come that wasn't any better than that? Uh, and I do think the injury story on this ends up being, uh, you know, a part of this overall discussion that in like the 24 to 48 hours prior to this game, you know, after that Thursday press conference, when Kirby on Thursday was like, you know, we haven't really gotten a whole lot from the the McConkies and the Bowers is those guys that were held out of tack. And we know what the narrative was. The narrative was, oh, well, Georgia's just holding these guys out because the tech game doesn't matter. They'll all be fully healthy for the SEC championship. In fact, I told you that about Brock Bowers, that my best guess, while also acknowledging I'm no medical professional or anything like that, my best overall guess is, is that Bowers would be as healthy for the Alabama game as he was for the the Tennessee game or the Ole Miss game, and that, you know, Lad McConkie may be a little bit worse off than that, but I felt pretty good about Brock Bowers. Well, the truth is, there had been kind of some whisper campaigns post Thursday that Smart really wasn't sandbagging as much as some people kind of thought that he was. And the prevailing narrative of all of these guys were held out of the final regular season game because the tech game just didn't matter that maybe that wasn't completely true. And that when you look at, well, why wasn't there more of Brock Bowers in this game? I had a wonderful catch near the end that kind of gave Georgia a chance to score a touchdown. But why wasn't there more of that in total during the game? I I, I think what you're led to believe is, based on people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, is that Brock Bowers is actually pretty banged up. And, And maybe he was somehow more banged up coming into this game than he was at some point since returning from that tightrope surgery, you know, there at the uh, end of October, turning into November, that 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 maybe he wasn't fully healthy playing in this game, and there was more to him being held out of the Tech game than just extreme caution because the Tech game ultimately didn't matter. We know what Lad McConkey was. He was, as Cole Kublik said a moment ago, trying to gut it out here and give you the best that he could, but you weren't able to use that aspect of the offense either. So some of the explanation from, well, how come Georgia wasn't better offensively was the fact that you couldn't utilize playmakers that you knew would be very important in winning a game like this. It wasn't full go Brock Bowers. It wasn't full go Lad McConkey, And that ultimately did impact some of the overall offensive performance. But beyond that, I believe the biggest single thing here, and I know people want to say, well, Bobo's, you know, Mike Bobo, the offensive corner, he's inferior. He's not as good as Todd Monken. You know, this same old Bobo, people kind of want to go down that line. And once again, listen, I'm not Mike Bobo's attorney. If if you think that Mike Bobo uh, is the reason that Georgia lost this game, by all means, have at it. This is a fan-oriented conversation. Our, our, you know, uh, comment section on all the video platforms and the people that reach out to me on social media, whatever else, that's wide open for people to express their point of view on this i may be pro georgia but i do not work for georgia it's not my job to to defend them if something goes wrong in this game so if that's your point of view you are certainly free to express that we try to be as interactive of a show as we possibly can all i'm trying to say here is is that i believe there might be some additional context for why georgia perhaps had the offensive struggles that it did and ultimately i thought the number one story in this game on the other side of Georgia getting a quick lead and Georgia then trying to work with that lead, I thought it became pretty obvious pretty quick that Georgia was going to have a really hard time with Alabama's defensive line. And Georgia, with its own defensive line, wasn't going to be able to match that on that side of the ball. That ultimately, the story for me is not a Jalen Milrow or anything else. It is an Alabama defensive line that I believe made Georgia feel like it was kind of play calling with perhaps one hand tied behind its back. 
and it wasn't going to have as effective of a running game as we've seen because the defensive fronts that Georgia's been battling against the last few weeks aren't as big and beefy and perhaps even as nasty up front as Alabama is and that giving Carson back too much time to throw and allowing him to kind of go through progressions and spread the ball around and get a lot of different guys involved the freedom to be able to do that with the ease that you want to do that against Alabama their defensive front on Saturday unfortunately from a Georgia perspective was just not going to allow that to happen and Kirby Smart to his credit also in his post-game press conference kind of didn't mince words here in, in his own belief that that battle up front going Alabama's way was perhaps the difference in the ball game once again here is Kirby Smart from his post-game press conference there on Saturday. I mean, the only thing I can say is they whipped us up front. I mean, even late there in that two-minute drive, we had a third and one, and they, they, they whipped us, and we had to get it on fourth and one. On the goal line, you know, they have big, big humans. And people always say, well, Georgia can run the ball. Georgia can run the ball. It's hard to run the ball when they have good size in there, and they're a, they're a physical front. But I was very pleased with the run game, not the conversions. That, that probably was the difference in the game with the short yardage conversions and gifting 10 points away. So, listen – you know, I've said this now a few times over the course of the weekend, so if you've heard me say this before, I apologize, but a lot of folks are hearing me now for the first time on Dog Nation Daily since the game on Saturday. If I could only sum up this game in one sentence, if you only gave me a small handful of words, one sentence to sum up the game, my one-sentence summation of what happened on Saturday is Alabama was just better on both lines of scrimmage, and that's a hard advantage to overcome, especially with the defensive line. And I believe that's what Kirby Smart's sort of speaking to there. But that from the perspective of a Georgia fan is not enough to sort of write the whole thing off it's not enough just to say oh well had a hard hard time with that Alabama defensive front so therefore the game didn't quite go your way it is also fair to point out that we said from the very beginning of the season that the standard for Georgia this year would be how it scored in these postseason games because of how well it scored in postseason games a year ago. It was 50 in the SEC championship. It was 40-something in the Peach Bowl national semifinal against Ohio State, and you needed every one of those points in order to be able to win the game. It was 65 points against TCU in the national championship game. And obviously only getting 24 against Alabama on Saturday is nowhere near as good as that, and it turns out nowhere near good enough to – as we've been saying all year this year, kind of go for three and 23. You know, that is just the reality, and it stinks. It is not a fun conversation to be having, you know, ha- you know, having here today. I certainly understand that. Now, this is also the point where I can say, but guess what, folks? The future is still bright, and there are great days ahead and all this. And we all know cognitively that that's true, but it's also not one of those things that people necessarily want to hear today either. You know, I don't know that people are quite ready yet to say, oh, can't wait for whatever's coming next, because obviously there's disappointment after a game like this, and there's disappointment that a season is not going to end the way that so many Georgia fans wanted to do. So no matter how true it is about how bright the future may be, the present tense kind of stinks, and that's just something we have to live with here for a little while. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us here today. If you're just joining us kind of live on video from a few moments ago, I mentioned off the top that things look a little bit different today. They probably sound perhaps a little bit more different than that. We've had some issues that we're kind of working through here, so we are trying to make the best of our situation, trying to give you a good show here with a little bit of stuff going on that's obviously not exactly the way that we want it to be so we appreciate you kind of powering through with us on that and hopefully we've got a good show to deliver for you with that in mind on video across all platforms radio athens sports radio 960 ref podcast there as well on every single platform there too and brought to you today by our friends at pella window and door of george of course they're viewed to be the best and what that means is when you're thinking about energy efficient windows and doors and this is probably that time of year when we think more about that kind of thing than almost anything else because you know it's breezy it's cold wind starts blowing and you've been like an old house or something like that and you know you kind of feel that like that just that cold air coming in where it's not really supposed to be that's one of those things that sometimes happens where yeah you, you know you kind of have that and it just feels a little drafty you don't want that drafty house and that's the kind of thing that Pella window and door of Georgia sort of prevents from you those energy efficient windows and doors uh they keep the outside where it's supposed to be they keep you feeling good on the inside of your home but they also make the outside of your home look better too better curb appeal could benefit you from resale value things like that it's a great way to be a great neighbor so that's why i think it's time for you to 
to have a consultation with one of those Pella experts. You can go by and see them at their experience center there in Duluth, or they can come to you. You can do a virtual conversation if you'd rather do that. Walk through the entire product line, installation options, if necessary, financing options, and just take advantage of a great opportunity right now from Pella Window and Door of Georgia. If you're watching uh, there on video, you see a phone number you can call to be a part of that, but you can also check them out online at Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. That's Pella of GA.com slash dog nation and find out more about that and learn for yourself today why Pella window and door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best. We have a conversation coming up with John Stinchcomb. Separate from the fact we have a couple of little issues going on here today, John is also on his way to Las Vegas today to be with Coach Rick as Coach Rick goes into the College Football Hall of Fame. So we actually recorded this yesterday with John. Once again, a little bit of a different type of vibe for us because uh, not quite in studio, not quite live, but we'll do that with John Stinchcomb as per usual. John got some great stuff coming up on why he thought Georgia lost the game and ultimately Georgia's exclusion from the college football playoff here this year on the virtue of being a runner-up there in the SEC. So all of that's coming up with John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse here today. And look, I want to set us all up for what the next few days are likely to be. We know that it's about to probably for a few days here not be very fun. That transfer portal is now open. Georgia players will be going in. Georgia is not playing in a college football playoff national semifinal game. Uh, so therefore, the chance at opt outs and that kind of thing that's become a very big part of college football it was a part of the Georgia program in 2018, 2019 when it was playing in the uh, Sugar Bowl, and it's been a part of every other program kind of in a game like this since then, too. We are just sort of in the opt-out era when it comes to uh, when it comes to bowl games. We don't quite know who will be opting out for Georgia, but we know that there'll probably be you know, some of those that kind of go on here as Georgia gets ready to play the, in the Orange Bowl against Florida State coming up on December 30th. Yesterday, in that kind of way in which you kind of rush to get the coaches there to kind of hype the bowl game they're going to be in both Mike Norvell and Kirby Smart spoke to reporters we'll obviously get to the Norvell angle on this in the days to come but clearly disappointed that his team is at 13 and 0 and playing in this game as opposed to one of the college ball playoff games but Kirby Smart uh, nonetheless disappointed about his own fate there too and obviously acknowledging at the end of this Orange Bowl kind of kickoff press conference yesterday that obviously it is just a factor that they'll be hearing some news from players coming up over the course of the uh, next few days. But I want you to also listen here. The Kirby Smart doesn't seem too bothered about that, doesn't seem too panicked about that. He seems to be kind of comfortable with what's about to happen, as unavoidable as it perhaps is. This is important context for Kirby on the idea that George is no less immune to the stuff going on around college football than anybody else would be. This is Kirby Smart from yesterday evening once they found out officially they were going to the Orange Bowl. It's probably going to happen throughout the week. They, they need some time to decompress. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not expecting anyone to not play, to be honest with you. But when that conversation comes, we'll have those conversations with them. We'll talk to them. I know we'll have some uh, enter the portal. That those conversations have been happening for for several weeks now, uh, leading up to uh, this time. So we'll have guys enter the portal and and uh, and, and and opt to, to not play in the game, but. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm really not stressing or worried about it right now. Uh, I, we, we've got a week to kind of get ourselves together, and our guys will take some time off, take a little break they need, and get back and get to working out and getting to throwing and getting some practice time. But it's not a major concern for me right now because I know that we have a good core of our team that's going to be there and, and want to play. I don't. I just don't have specifics, though. So I think those words from Kirby Smart there ought to be listened to pretty closely and pretty carefully. And <laughs> – just given the comparison, and I swear to you, it's like I had to turn off ESPN yesterday because I just love being in the college football playoff so much. And while I don't coach or play in it, when Georgia travels there, you sort of feel like you're a part of it because all the pageantry of these games, you're just in it. And you're if you're a fan, you travel to the game, or if you're you know lucky enough to be you know uh, you know I've been able to go to these games the last few years. It just it feels like you're in it and you're a part of it, and the vibe around it's just so addictive in so many ways that by comparison the well who's opting out and who's transferring you know even ahead of a what is a really fun game like the orange bowl it, it just it's just nowhere near as fun and so to hear like washington be excited and texas be excited 
and Alabama be excited and Michigan be excited cheating their way in when uh when you got all these teams as excited as they are by comparison it's almost like I don't want to see them being happy on TV or the ESPN folks you know kind of discussing their fate I, I just had to sort of turn it off yesterday for a minute so I think we're all kind of going through that by comparison this just doesn't feel nearly as good this isn't nearly as much fun but my advice to you though is is that for those of you who are kind of like truly UGA through and through that you're that, that you're a Georgia fan that ultimately knows that eventually there's a really bright future ahead for Georgia and then eventually this 2024 offseason early calendar year is going to lead into another fall coming up where Georgia's obviously right back in contention for a national championship. Who knows how the results play out, but obviously that's where Georgia's heading over the course of the next few months. Once again, we would assume being in contention for next year's national championship. My advice is, and you already know this, but I want to say it out loud nonetheless, this is a period to be endured. It just is. And one of the things I'm going to talk to John about in a moment is the idea that bad news sort of trickling out slowly over time. Well, so-and-so's transferring. Now so-and-so's transferring. Well, now so-and-so's perhaps opting out. Now this person's perhaps opting out. Georgia is not fully insulated against any of that because no one in this spot would be. Everybody would have their version of that. And I truly don't believe it's the sky falling or some sort of problem with Georgia or anything, obviously, to panic about. What it is is just an overall reflection of where college football is at this particular time. And Kirby Smart, who has figured out so much of the current landscape, is going to figure all of this out there as well. And somehow Georgia will field a team to go play in Miami and will let the chips fall where they may against an undefeated Florida State team that's going to have its own issues as it relates to that. And then somehow Georgia will kind of figure out what its roster looks like for next season there as well with a combination of returning players, perhaps new players from the portal itself, or certainly an impressive crop of incoming recruits. But the next few days is sort of like the worst part of the news cycle. And if you're not in the college football playoff, it sort of smacks you in the face here pretty hard. So we're going to cover it. We're going to talk about it, and as fans, we're also going to endure it because there is a much better future in the very, very you know uh, near near future coming up. But for now, probably not too pleasant because George is about to hear some of the stuff that we kind of hear this time of year ahead of that Orange Bowl. You already know that it's coming, so let's get through this period, and then everything will be a little a lot better coming up after that. So that's sort of the story with George heading to the Orange Bowl disappointed about losing to Alabama. That's not everything that needs to be said about it, but it is what we're going to say about it here for right now. Now, before our show is done today, we're going to talk about who did make the college football playoff, what Kirby Smart had to say about why he thought his team should be included. And I think we're going to speak to how all of this sort of sets us up for what college football is likely to have a lot more of in coming years. Because the 12-team playoff, I believe, which we're going to have next season, won't mean less arguing. I believe it's actually going to make room for more arguing. And I'll tell you why here coming up. But before that, as we always do on a Monday, a chance to look at everything going on with UGA, even after a loss, the first one in 29 games, the Georgia Bulldogs. It is the former All-American John Stinchcomb as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Let's get ready to speak to John right now. And here on Dog Nation Daily, time now for our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update as we welcome in John Stinchcomb, of course, the great Georgia All-American. And uh, John, you know, this is not the conversation we were hoping to be having here today, but I'm nonetheless glad to have it with you. Uh, nonetheless, here, Georgia losing to Alabama in the SEC Championship, finding out a couple of moments ago we're recording this on a Sunday, of course, to air uh, on our show at its normal time on Monday. The Georgia won't be in the college football playoff somehow in the virtue of a three-point loss to a team that made the playoff. Georgia falls from number one to number six, the first team to ever fall out of the uh, top four after coming into playoff championship weekend in the number one spot. So a lot for us to dissect here. But if you don't mind, let me just start with the game itself. Man, it certainly seemed to come down to me to – what Alabama was able to do on both its lines of scrimmage against Georgia. They just seemed a little bit bigger, a little bit meaner up front maybe than what uh, Georgia had been used to saying. And I thought the Alabama offensive line kind of had its way, created a lot of opportunities for Jalen Milrow. And obviously the Alabama defensive front, I think, if you had to sort of circle the single biggest difference in the game, I believe it might have been that. Uh, What was your overall takeaway from kind of why Georgia wasn't able to get it done on Saturday night? 
Yeah, if, if I'm going to start anywhere, it's going to be with Alabama's secondary. I thought their performance uh, was truly the difference maker. You watch how they covered, but really where, where, where I was in awe is the way they played the run. Uh, there was a number of third down situations where, you know, if you look at this game, you're expecting Georgia to continue their offensive prowess, and they weren't able to. So what was the difference? You look at third third and short situations, and there was a number of times where we're dialing up edge plays, and we weren't able to win those battles. And that's either a safety down making those plays, a wide receiver for us not be able to make those blocks, or our offensive lineman on the pulls not being able to, to execute in those situations. And that was a difference. Uh, obviously, yeah. the, the missed field goal – on the, on the back of a, a five-yard penalty, how costly did that turn out yeah. to be? And, and and a turnover. And when you're in a battle like that, you can't have plays that, that are the difference in games that are, are heavyweight matches where everybody's throwing haymakers. So there's a couple points where you're going, you know, yes, the, the refereeing wasn't uh, on its best on, on on last night's performance or on Saturday's performance. But there is some ownership that Georgia can take and say there were some battles we just didn't win. So I think you're bringing up a lot of very important points, to, uh, important points to get to there. And I want to kind of go, you know, through some of these here a little bit. We talked so much about, you know, kind of a five or you know, five and a half point spread for Georgia. And then ultimately it's a six point swing that I think kind of determines this game, at least in you know large measure. You said Georgia gets backed up. We hadn't seen Peyton Woodring miss a field goal in what seems like forever. But when you move that thing back to 50, it became the kind of thing that that was just missed. If it's five yards shorter, it certainly seemed like on the base of that kick, it's probably going to be good. And then when you've got the mishandled exchange between Carson Beck and Dylan Bell kind of deep in your own territory, that becomes three points for Alabama. That's three points they did get. That's three points that Georgia didn't get. And boy, in a, in a three-point margin of victory, that six-point swing there on both sides, that looms pretty large, doesn't it? It does. And and when you're in tight games, you go back and you analyze everything, right? And, and penalties and turnovers are always going to percolate to the top and you're going to focus on them. Now, the play call itself, I know Bobo's already taken shots again based on yesterday's performance. That end around to Dylan Bell, I like the call. You look at the the way it's being blocked up. If there's a good exchange right there, then there's yardage to be had from one of our playmakers who just this past week, you and I were talking about, he's earned the opportunity yeah. to uh, have some plays dialed up with his number being the primary recipient. And we weren't able to, to, to toss it effectively to him and it turned, ended up in a turnover. That's a killer especially where it is. I thought our defense did an exceptional job of holding them to three points, but in a tight game where it felt like Georgia was behind by 10 for three quarters, you just can't have it. And we, we have to be able to execute. And you, you heard Kirby after the game say, this is something we repped. It wasn't like, Oh, let's just try it. We need a spark. Uh, but you get a turnover in your own red zone. And in games like that, you either, have to find ways to overcome it or you don't and you end up talking about it. And that's where we find ourselves is talking about that turnover. So you brought that up, the name Mike Bobo. And I think people probably understand this. I hope they do anyway. You know, like I am pro Georgia, but I don't work for Georgia. So if Mike Bobo was the reason that Georgia lost this game, I would tell our commenters who are watching us like right now, hey, have at it. You know, let, you know, let it rip in the comment section and, and uh, you know, let everybody know how you feel about that. You know, that's certainly, you know, the fans right to do so in all of that. However, I kind of come back to, and maybe I'm being naive. I've said this down to a couple of different people. Maybe I'm being naive. I feel like some of the head-scratching, play-calling moments from Georgia last night, and there probably were a few of those. I thought that Georgia was probably pretty conservative, especially, you know, at certain stretches during the first half. I think some of that was related to the fact that, you know, I just felt like Georgia was forced to have a lot of respect for Alabama's ability to rush the passer, especially when Marius Mims went out of the game. And like the Dylan Bell, you know, kind of uh, sort of in, in a round type play on the, with the fumble we were just talking about a moment ago. That's the kind of thing I felt like Georgia thought it had to do because giving Carson back four or five seconds to stand there and, and, and you know, distribute the football as he's been doing all year long. I don't think Georgia thought it could do that last night. And I think that Georgia was probably right in assuming that it couldn't. It seemed like back, it was a little bit more rushed 
last night. Probably only the Missouri game this year. Anything close to, you know, kind of reminiscent of that. And that was also probably the game which Beck was not at his best there either. I thought some of the head-scratching play-calling stuff came last night simply because I think that Georgia was trying to figure out something it thought would work against this Alabama defense. Mm -hmm. And as you described, that was no easy feat last night because, or Saturday night because certainly Alabama came to play. Yeah, you look at the first series and you go, Georgia, why didn't we keep doing that all day? And I think they tried to. It, you know, there are so many dirty hands uh, in this loss that you cannot say it is because of this particular player or this particular coach. You look at, you know, let's let's start with Ernest Green at left tackle. Not an ideal matchup for him against Dallas Turner and one-on-one drop back situations. We saw that ends up in a sack and there were some other pressures that uh, were, were credited to him in that matchup. What did Georgia try to do to offset that? You tried to establish the run a little bit, and we weren't very effective in that space. There were times where it felt like in the second down, we're trying to run the ball forward in two yards, three yards, not the gashes that we've seen in the past. Would that then affect your ability to throw the ball because Georgia wants that play action feature to to slow down that pass rush let them play the run well if you're stopping at two yards that affects your ability to throw the ball our perimeter blocking wasn't exceptional at times it was brock bowers at times it was dom lovett at times it was offensive linemen on the edge so a lot of dirty hands there dylan bell throughout the game as you're watching you're going why why is he struggling to to get lined up before the ball's even snapped Lad McConkey, how many times did he limp off the field? Just offensive alone, we've named a number of guys that yeah, just didn't seem that sharp performance that we've come to expect all season long. And it was at the, the biggest stage, and it came at a very costly time that uh, knocks Georgia out of that college football playoffs picture for the first time in three years. Full disclosure here, you and I are recording this after the announcement of Georgia being ranked number six by the CFP committee, but prior to finding out what the bold destination for Georgia will be. So let's do talk about what we do know at the time of this recording, which is that Georgia was excluded last, uh, you know, based on its loss last night by what the committee did here on Sunday afternoon. We'll get into who did make it in a moment, but, but you know, I've made the case that I think the argument for Georgia being included was actually more compelling than media types, key decision makers, even some Georgia fans kind of gave credence for it being. I'm not surprised they were excluded because there was fairly obvious a, a tide of momentum, no pun intended, kind of moving in the direction of, of the teams that got in. And obviously there was very little chatter late Saturday night about Georgia other than, you know, a handful of, uh, I guess, certainly pro-Georgia voices, myself included. But, John, ultimately I think that the argument for Georgia still being one of the top four teams because it did come in – uh, to the weekend ranked number one. It only lost by three points. Uh, you know, you had uh, a situation in which, uh, uh, you know, the CFP executive chairman, you know, going back last week had talked about the job to get the four best teams in. I think the actual case for George was perhaps more compelling than it was given credence for being. But nonetheless, I'm not, I'm not surprised that that Georgia wasn't included. What was your reaction to all of that? Yeah, and my understanding is Georgia is planning on playing Florida State in the Orange Bowl. This was, you know, this is shortly. We're filming this shortly right. after these announcements were made, and this is uh, via some secondhand sources. SportsIllustrated.com is where I saw that. But you look at the arguments for really those top six teams, and Florida State misses out. Uh, Georgia loses to a, a top four college football playoff team at a neutral site by three. Um, and in a game where they missed a field goal and there's some some things that could have broken their way, certainly a case could be made that they're one of the top four teams. As a matter of fact, um, if the the committee that's uh, the selection committee is willing to go out on a bridge and say, hey, here's a team that's 13 and 0 wins their conference championship in Florida State, but we still don't see them as as one of the top four. I think it allows Georgia to continue to be in this space of, are they one of the best four teams? Well, for, for 13 consecutive weeks, you saw them as the number one team mm -hmm. based on a performance where they, they lose by three on a neutral site to one of your top four teams. They drop to six. That's hard to justify. So 
I'm not sure they're always using that same rubric to say this is why we we justify one of these teams and we've eliminated another. So, you know, a lot of speculation there. This is one of the hardest years to select the top four. I give them some credit in saying, man, this is this is really tough to sort through and and probably one of the reasons why they're moving to a, a much bigger playoff picture because if you're not making the college football playoffs, what we've seen is every team devalues the consolation prize of playing in a, in a bowl game. And if it is Georgia versus FSU in the Orange Bowl, it'll be interesting to see which version of Georgia and which version of Florida State actually take the field. Because as we know, if you're not in that college football playoff, this season becomes uh, draft preparation season as well as the transfer portal season. So, you know, it's it stinks that for the first time in a long time, Georgia's on the outside looking in. Yeah, I want to finish our conversation by talking more about that here in a moment. Let me squeeze one more thing before we get there, though. Away from Georgia here for a moment, we knew that, okay, if you stipulate that Georgia is excluded, whether it should be or shouldn't, there were going to be some interesting things happen with that, like final playoff selection, those final two playoff selections. Either Texas was going to be excluded after beating Alabama head-to-head. That would have been weird. Alabama would have been excluded as the SEC champions, but we've never seen in the 10-year history of the college football playoff, nine previous years before this. Or an undefeated Power 5 team was going to be excluded, something we've also never seen in the nine previous years of the college football playoff. Ultimately, it was Florida State that sort of drew the short straw on that. What's your overall takeaway? Taking George out of this, because seemingly that's what – Everybody kind of wanted to do, either rightly or wrongly, and the kind of head-to-head-to-head comparison between Texas, who beat Bama, Bama, who won the SEC, Florida State, who remained unbeaten. What did you think about Florida State being the team that was excluded from the college ball playoff? Obviously, Tallahassee is, uh, you know, fit to be tied over all of this. Sure. And and if I were a Florida State fan or a part of their program over there, I would be upset as well. With that said... I don't think they're one of the best four teams in in the country right now. And does the quarterback injury play a huge part in that? You better believe it. But they're also part of a conference that is not very strong. And I understand they beat a couple of SEC teams. They aren't Georgia. They're not Alabama. Same. We beat that same Florida team like a drum. They're not a great Florida team this year. So the excuses or arguments that you would make the case for Florida to be a part of Florida state to be a part of the college football playoffs. I don't think hold up when you're saying the point of the college football playoffs is the top four teams. We knew that as you're selecting these four teams, there's going to be first and this has never been seen before, no matter who they choose. If they, if Florida state's in and, and Alabama's out it's the first time the sec is not represented despite the fact that once we get to the college football playoffs, which conference has been the most dominant in history, it's the SEC by far. Now, you can't weigh that in because, you know, we're only looking at uh, the the picture right now as it is. The last years don't matter. Okay, if that's the case, then Alabama should certainly be in. Texas should certainly be in. And in my opinion, Georgia should be in because – we're looking for the best four teams in the country. Who does that leave out? Probably leaves out Washington. I put Michigan in that top four. But, you know, you look at Washington's wins, and maybe they're not as great as people think they are, especially against an Oregon team that, you know, has lost twice to them. And who else have they played that's right. all that great? So right. uh, to have two representatives for the SEC might be hard to stomach by outsiders. but probably two of the best four teams in college football right now. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of discussion could be had. I don't really have qualms with the the four that they ended up with. Um, I think you can make a, a really good case for them. And, you know, it, it's tough as a Georgia fan, but I get it. 
It's John Stinchcomb here for our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. And, of course, while the news around Georgia football right now is not good, the news at Marlowe's Tavern keeps getting better. When you talk about holiday season and a chance to buy some Christmas gifts and some holiday gifts from some people that may sometimes be hard to buy for, one of those great Marlowe's Tavern gift cards is a wonderful option there because it always fits. Everybody loves chef-inspired food. Everyone loves craft cocktails. That's what Marlowe's Tavern provides. And there's great savings there for all of you on this, too, because – when you buy a $100 gift card at Marlowe's Tavern right now, you're going to get a bonus $25 gift card to go uh, for that yourself. Or you can either give that to the person you're giving the gift card to. Perhaps you keep that yet there yourself. It's a great incentive for you to give the gift to Marlowe's Tavern here during this holiday season. So make sure you find out more online at Marlowe'sTavern.com. That's Marlowe'sTavern.com. And give the gift of a Marlowe's Tavern gift card here during this holiday season. We've been doing this uh, uh, promotion for Marlowe's for uh, quite some time, great number of years. And I think it's a wonderful way to show the folks you love how much you care about them here with a Marlowe's Tavern gift card this Christmas and holiday season. And obviously a, a sort of extra bonus add-on on top of that. All right, John, let's finish our conversation with something you referenced there a moment ago. You know, PR 101 is, if you've got bad news, get it all out at once. Don't let it trickle out a little bit at a time. And unfortunately, that's what the next, I would say, two weeks or so are going to feel like for Georgia. It's going to be this trickle of bad news. I think it's important to acknowledge it's going to happen, or what at least what feels like bad news. So-and-so is going to the transport portal. So-and-so is opting out of the bowl game. We know this because every team is impacted by this when they're not in the college football playoff. And that trickle of bad news, I think, has the appearance of, oh, gosh, the sky is falling around Georgia or whatever the team is dealing with that. And what we kind of see is, well, no, it seems like that way now. But by the time you get into January, it becomes an offseason like any other where Georgia will be putting together the pieces to make a run at national championship contention again in 2024, a 12-team playoff world. But the immediate effect right now is both kind of unpleasant and also unfamiliar because Georgia, up until yesterday, won 29 straight games in the last two national championships. You're kind of getting into this, uh, you know, sort of world that the rest of college football has been living in. So, you know, I wanted you to kind of expound on the idea that we're about to hear about bowl opt-outs. Georgia won't be immune to that. We're about to hear about transfer portal players leaving this program, perhaps a handful of players coming into the program. But the same stuff that is just commonplace now in the rest of college football will be a reality for Georgia too. And we're about to experience that. Yeah. You don't have to like it. I, I don't like it. Nobody cares if we like it. It is what it is. This is, where college football is now and and a lot of programs that have aspirations for national championships their players and their coaches see this as college football playoffs are bust and right now you're if you're on the outside looking in players whether they're stinging or not and if, if we are going up against florida state you talk about some folks that are that are pretty bitter at this point it's going to be in my opinion as reminiscent to that sugar bowl against texas as possible where Georgia was going, we should we should have been one of the – well, you're not. You're not part of the college football playoffs. You, you are in a bowl game. And uh, I think the coaching staff and the, the guys that are going to play this game are going to do their very best to say, our season is not done. We've got one more game. We can finish on as high a note as possible while also recognizing this Georgia team that we saw in the SEC championship and what we saw all season long is going to be a different team that takes the field uh, in, in the bowl game. And sad, you, you don't have to like it. I don't like it. But it is the way college football is played right now. And it, it's one of the reasons why I am grateful that the college football playoffs is expanding. So hopefully there's more games that matter, not only to the fans, not only to the programs, but to the players and the coaches that say, as long as we're a part of this thing, we're still going to be contributing 100% to the guys that I've committed to this season. John, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention, as we say goodbye to you, that the reason why we're recording this on a Sunday as opposed to our normal live broadcast on Monday, by the way, you're good enough to join us here uh, on, on Sunday for this, is that you're on your way to Las Vegas as uh, the great former Georgia coach, Mark Rick, a guy that we all love, is set to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, that ceremony taking place. You, one of his terrific former players, a part of that. And – I can't tell you how proud I am for you to be able to experience this with Coach Rick. Obviously, we're proud for Coach Rick to have this honor bestowed upon him. I think it's 
clearly well-deserving and, and truly a, a special thing. So I guess let me finish with that on a much, much happier note. Uh, what it feels like for you to be able to stand alongside Coach Rick as his legacy as a wonderful football coach is honored in Las Vegas here for this upcoming week. Well, I won't be standing beside him. I'll be in the background cheering for him because he is a truly DGD. And just uh, to, to be a part or be able to witness and be a part of the ceremony that inducts him and recognizes the difference that he has made across college football and specifically at the University of Georgia, uh, I am forever grateful. I'm forever grateful here for his leadership in a time that was so implemented influential for me, but for so many other young men as, as they got the opportunity to play uh, at the University of Georgia under his leadership, it's a blessing for all of us and a deserving recognition for a man that has truly made a difference, uh, not only on the football field, but for so many others and so, so much impact off of it. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited that I get to go and, and witness something uh, that Coach Rick is, is very much deserving of, and I'm grateful that he is such a great representative for our university and, and all of Georgia. John, great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for uh, representing all of us in part with some of your former teammates up there in Las Vegas because we would all love to be there with Coach Rick if we had the ability to do that. We will certainly have happier conversations in the future because this is still a program with a very bright uh, horizon ahead of it, but obviously – there's the occasional pain in the present tense, and that's what George is dealing with here right now. So, John, help, thanks for helping us make sense of all of that. We'll look forward to having you here as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update again very, very soon on Dog Nation Daily. I appreciate you making accommodations for me as I travel out to Vegas. And as you know, it's always great to be a dog, even when it uh, it stings a little bit. Uh, it's a university and a program that that I'm certainly proud to be a part of and to be a fan of. And it's always great to be a dog. So go dogs. Well said, John. Always a lot of fun to have John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily for Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. And obviously thrilled to have John out in Las Vegas this week with Coach Rick as Mark Rick goes into the College Football Hall of Fame. Such a deserving honor. And so nice to see uh, Coach Rick being supported by so many of his great former players, including John Stinchcomb right there. We'll transition here into cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is one of those weekends when, man, oh, man, am I ready for a uh, vacation? Obviously, we've all you know, got fun thoughts of those coming up. In fact, before you know it, it'll be April of 2024. I had a chance to see Greg Sharon, some of the people that have been on the Dog Nation cruise with us in the uh, past who were uh, there with us for our go for three and 23 tailgate there on Saturday. Obviously, the game doesn't work out the way we want to, but still great to see good folks who've been with us on cruises before and you know, a lot of folks who are there who've uh, done that with us and uh plan to be with us april of 2024 so go ahead and make your plans uh it's april of 2024 sailing out of port canaveral going to nasa on the bahamas perfect day coke okay royaldogs.com is the website to go to by the way royaldogs.com our great travel agent jessica slater specially selected for us by royal caribbean helps us out with all of that getting us ready for that great experience we really want you to be a part of it we're gonna have a good time and you know listen I love my job. I love football. I love all of this. But the fall is a grind, and you kind of just sort of power through it because you love it. And yet, there's also that need for a little bit of downtime, a little bit of chance to recharge. You know, I essentially, you know, kind of have my cruise season and my football season. We're kind of moving into that sort of direction of cruise season. When you start wondering when do I have a chance to be on the Caribbean? When do I have a chance to be on a ship like Allure of the Seas? Uh, I cannot wait for it, and I want all of you to be there as well. Uh, royaldogs.com to find out more about that okay so for a slightly different version of cruising around the sec today courtesy of royal crib i want to focus on the college ball playoff announcement from yesterday and i want to focus on the fact that georgia was excluded from that top four not surprising obviously as i've said before i, I believe that the argument for georgia making the college football playoff was far more compelling than even some georgia fans wanted to give it credit for being but ultimately we're not surprised that it wasn't a winning argument for the college football playoff selection committee yesterday when they made their official announcement now as far as like the basic crux of the Georgia argument, you know, Kirby Smart did this after the game on Saturday. And in this clip, you're about to hear from Kirby on this. The one thing that you're going to tell is 
is that Kirby Smart's heart is not necessarily in this. You know, Kirby Smart is not necessarily, you know, uh, bound, you know, banging his fist on the table and leading the charge there on all of this. I believe he senses the obligation to make the case for Georgia and he does it. But clearly, this is not the most emotional plea that he's perhaps ever given because he's obviously downtrodden after defeat. But nonetheless, I wanted you to hear Smart in his words making the case for why he believes that Georgia truly is among the four best teams in college football, even after losing Alabama on Saturday. This is what Kirby Smart said post game. Take a listen to this. Look, Bill Hancock said <laughs> it's not the most deserving. He said simply, it's the best four teams. So if you're going to tell me somebody sitting in that uh, committee room and doesn't think that that Georgia team is not one of the best four teams, I don't know if they're in the right uh, profession because it, it's, it's, it's a really good football team. It's a really talented football team. It's a really balanced football team. Um, so, you know, they have to make that decision. But it's the best four teams, and uh, that's critical. So that's Kirby Smart making his case. As I said before, you know, he's a competitor. He just lost. He doesn't really feel that in that moment, but he feels the need to do it, which is what I would suggest means is all the more important for those around Smart to start making the case for Georgia because pretty clearly he's not going to be able to give that his full emphasis. And also it may be conduct unbecoming for the coach to kind of go full in on that the way we've certainly seen Nick Saban you know do in the past he has no misgivings about these types of things Kirby Smart sort of built a little bit different perhaps he doesn't necessarily want to but to me that's all the more important for why everybody else kind of needs to whether it's SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and I'm gonna give Sankey credit for this you know Sankey seems to understand how combative what's coming next in college football is and I think we probably need to understand all of that there as well. You know, like one of the things you hear from time to time is, oh, I can't stand the fact that when it's all said and done, a lot of this CFP stuff, the college football playoff is kind of about politics. People kind of say that, you know, it's about politicking in the room or politicking for your spot. We may not like that, but if you want to win in the world that's coming next, I think you need to be ready for that. And, and frankly, I believe that Georgia fans should have been a lot more comfortable with the idea of still arguing for their team to make the playoff, whether Georgia was ever going to make it or not, because that's what college football is about to be. And, and frankly, I believe the case was far more compelling, as perhaps you've heard me say. You know, Washington's the Pac-12 champion. The Pac-12 no longer exists. Why would I give any respect or credence to that? Texas is in as a Big 12 champ, but they're also leaving the Big 12. If they don't value the league enough to stay there, why should I value their conference championship? And people say, well, yeah, but they beat Alabama. That's Alabama's problem. Texas beating Alabama doesn't mean anything in a comparison against Georgia. Not anything at all, not whatsoever. And as far as the Florida State part of this goes, Florida State told you at the beginning of the year they felt like they were in a deficient league. They were willing to spend with like angel investor and capital invest, you know, like uh, these you know, equity firms, whatever. They were willing to take on whatever money they could in hopes of buying their way out of the ACC because they know the ACC right now is a collection of mostly have not programs that aren't willing to spend, wouldn't be capable of spending. They have essentially no fan bases, no support structure whatsoever. You know, Florida State, to its credit, is beating up on those weaker programs. But the idea that you kicked around a bunch of programs you already told us before the season began aren't on the same level as you. Why would I be happy? Why would I be impressed with you for going 13-0 and playing in that particular league when you've already said most of the teams in that league are incapable of playing at the highest level? In fact, I think one of the key takeaways about the college football playoff deliberations yesterday would have been that if you're an elite recruit, if you're a five-star guy, a four-star guy, and you have aspirations of playing college football at the highest possible level, you can't go to the ACC. You can't even consider it because the college ball playoff selection committee told you, at least in the four-team playoff world, which admittedly comes from in this year, that the ACC sort of has a New Year's Six type ceiling, that even an undefeated ACC champion uh, is not a college football playoff level team when you can only choose four. If you're an elite recruit, I think you'd do well to still steer clear from the ACC altogether because it's just not a league on par with everybody else. We all knew that at the begin beginning of the year, Florida State now wants to pretend that's not true because it benefits them at the end of the year. But they also sort of understand what I think we all need to understand, that in the future – moving forward it's going to be about arguing 
it's not going to be who's number four because it's going to be about 12 teams. But there will still be an argument about who gets into the 12-team playoff. There will also be an argument about of those teams who gets a chance to host a playoff game, who has to go on the road, who gets a chance to have one of the you know sort of top four spots and gets that by. But that's what it's about to be. It's about to be a lot more arguing. And Nick Saban, to his credit, isn't squeamish about any of this. He isn't squeamish about doing whatever. He was more than happy to argue that his team should make the playoff over Texas, a team that beat it. And I think there are a lot of people wondering, well, what, what, what people think about us if we try to make that argument? Who cares? The name of the game is winning. And if you can win on the field, you win on the field. And if you can't win on the field, then you need to try to win the argument. Because in the future, there's going to be a lot more of that. Because take a look at this right now. Of the four teams in the playoff, Bama, Michigan, Texas, Washington, of those four teams, one of those is currently in the SEC, one of those is currently in the Big Ten. One of those other teams will be in the Big Ten next year, and one of those teams will be in the SEC. If you look at what the 12-team playoff would look like if it existed here this year, 10 of those 12 teams will either be in the SEC or in the Big Ten. So moving forward, you know this idea of like an AFC or an NFC, an American League or a National League, two major conferences dominating everything y'all there's about to be a lot more of that in the future which means more arguing so if you're a little bit you know uh squeamish about gosh what are people going to think if if people just make whatever argument suits them best then you're not ready for what's coming next because there is going to be a lot more arguing to come ultimately it was not a winning argument for Georgia because Georgia didn't win on the field. But once again, this notion that somehow Georgia is less than one of the four best teams because it dared lose after 29 straight games by Alabama uh, to Alabama by three points in an SEC championship. You know, that's the kind of sort of false comparison that people outside the SEC have always wanted. They want to make it more about the you know quanta uh you know quantifiable type discussion of how many losses did you have more so than the qualitative analysis of actually how good the team is and for all the debate of well is it the four best or the foremost deserving ultimately the inept people who run the college football playoff selection committee chose neither the four best nor the most deserving because if it's the most deserving clearly florida state would have been in and if it's the true four best obviously georgia would have been in so for all the discussion of is it four best four most deserving this committee is not even capable of making that choice because what they ultimately gave you was kind of a sort of a haphazard collection of both those ideas uh almost as if you know uh, this committee truly doesn't know what it wants to do when it's all said and done but nonetheless that's the story georgia misses out and obviously looks ahead to uh, what comes next we will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now ultimately the sec championship did not quite turn out the way we wanted it to but one of the things i always enjoy about that game being in atlanta is the presence of a whole bunch of dr pepper and uh, obviously the entire press box on saturday stocked up with all of that i'm talking about like every kind of dr pepper you know dr pepper cherry and uh, strawberries and cream and dr pepper zero sugar all of that kind of stuff and so it's always one of the fun things for me uh when you have the big game in atlanta because that means the dr pepper presence is going to be felt and by the way about the halftime show with like the throwing the football the guy that won throwing the football like a traditional football not the chess pass this year so that's kind of a cool thing to see either way uh enjoy yourself from dr pepper this holiday season the same way we love it during the football season we love it heading towards christmas there as well i like to drink my dr pepper i don't like a little christmas glass or something like that it's kind of one of my uh, little traditions uh, there as we uh, get ready for the christmas season as you open presents and things like that so please uh check out some dr pepper here it is truly the one that fans deserve as you're going to your local kroger whatever else make sure you do all of that i also want to give a quick shout out to our folks here in cartersville georgia there as well they got some fun stuff going on here right now let's check out the website it's visit cartersvillega.org that's visit cartersvillega.org Great collection of uh, things going on up there in that area. Axe throwing type stuff, escape room. Also, those special yearly events that take place each and every year. You can find out about some of the really fun stuff going on in the Cartersville, uh, Bartow area there by going to visitcartersvillega.org for more on that. That's visitcartersvillega.org for a lot more on that. All right, so to wrap up our show for today, a little bit different here because we don't have our uh, uh, show clothes fight song and things like that. But I do want to say this here for a moment. 
I am more than happy to kind of roll up the sleeves and uh, kind of do some hand-to-hand combat on Georgia being in the top four. Felt like they should have been, even though ultimately that wasn't a winning argument. And obviously more than happy to kind of do the diagnosis of why it was that uh, Georgia lost the game. It just sort of feels like the thing you got to do after a day like this. But ultimately, I think the prevailing thought for me, and if it's not quite this way for you, eventually I believe that it will be. The prevailing thought for me is, and I wanted to make sure we close out our show by saying this, is that I am just incredibly grateful for the 29 straight games we saw Georgia win. Like, what a true experience that was. Incredible just incredible to see this level of success for any team. And I never would have imagined as a sports fan I'd have a chance to experience that. I am so, so thankful that I did. Uh, One of these days, it'll probably make more sense to look back on all those memories. I'm sure we will. And obviously, we'll also look ahead to future memories there on that, too. That's all, I think, in the near future for us here right now. But what an experience this was, right? I mean, and ultimately, I think, bigger than why Georgia lost or, you know, should they have been in the playoff or, or any of those other discussions. The bigger thought for me is, man, what a time to have been a fan. Like, what an experience. And how thankful I am to have been able to have, in so many ways, like the best seat in the house for all of this over the course of these last two years, as so many of you did there as well. Like, like what an unbelievable occurrence and how much fun this team has provided for all of us over the course of of these two straight national championship seasons and another run through an undefeated regular season here this year. So to everybody around Georgia, the coaches, the players, and the entire you know organization, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making this so much fun. Thank you for making this such a wonderful experience for all of us. And we truly believe you guys will be back right there in the same conversation again sometime in the very near future. And I also want to say this to all of you who allow me the privilege of you know kind of narrating this experience for a lot of you uh each and every day how much i appreciate that there as well you know normally we do kind of like our golden shoes and things like that and i don't know if we're quite in the mood to sort of uh you know make fun of everybody else here right now there's gonna probably be some people making fun of me here for a little bit but that's that's okay but i do kind of want to use this space a little bit even on a show like this where we're not quite you know our, our, our full normal self to also express some gratitude i have for those of you who are kind of a part of this for us each and every day we've been showing some of these spotify raps we're going to show some more of those our buddy Country Dogs here as well, reaching out to me on Twitter. And how about this? I'll show you this little video on the screen here. He says, when I'm not on the road and with my little man watching Dog Nation Daily, and then he invites everybody else to tune in and to sub. How about that there going back to last Thursday show? The little guy right there, is, is that the pack and play? Is that what you call that? The little guy right there in the pack and play, watching the show up there on the big screen on TV, uh, at Country Dogs, shares that with us. Y'all, I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate that. That is truly, truly the most awesome uh experience in the world for me to know that you're watching the show you're sharing it with your kids or you're sharing with your friends and your family whatever else and that you're making this a regular occurrence for you to stop back and be part of our show through good times and bad times i just really really appreciate that so here's the thing george may have lost yesterday or on saturday but there are good days to come. So we're going to dust ourselves off. We're going to figure out who's heading down to Miami to play in the Orange Bowl, where Georgia goes after that with the transfer portal, with recruiting and everything else, and what happens next in that journey to get right back in the conversation for all kinds of good things there in the 2024 season. So we're on it every single day, including back here again tomorrow. So for today, thank you for being here as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.